Good evening. This video is about the future, the immediate future, of the Eastern Mediterranean. The Eastern Mediterranean, you can say, has been quite busy, bloody, almost sad over the past decade or so. We had, of course, the wars in Syria. It's not one war, but wars in Syria. We had the many fraud situations and problems in Lebanon. Uh, of course, the Palestinian-Israeli struggle, the rise of militant Islamist groups in parts of the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, many humanitarian crises. One of the largest refugees crises in modern history emanating out of the Eastern Mediterranean. The on that, by the way, at least at least seven, eight million people have been displaced, lost their homes, basically, in the Eastern Mediterranean in the last decade. And in addition to that, at least 300, 400,000 people lost their life. And recently, we have economic confrontations very much related to maritime or offshore gas discoveries in the Eastern Mediterranean, which brought with it geopolitical uh, tensions. This region is very important because of all of that, as well as its closeness to Europe, as well as its closeness to the Gulf, oil, gas, um, and many other important factors that makes or make the Eastern Mediterranean of major geopolitical importance globally, I would say, but certainly in Asia, Africa, and Europe, that point of intersection. But amidst all of that, is there any systematic or at least clear way of trying to think about the future, the immediate future, the next five, ten years, or let's say five years, of the Eastern Mediterranean, I propose to look at five factors. One is the future of Syria. Many people will say the wars in Syria have ended, the Assad regime has won the war to topple it, and therefore, basically, the dossier is now settled. I agree that the wars have more or less ended. I agree that the Assad regime has won the war to topple it, but the future of Syria is not very clear. Why? Because one of the most important factors, if not the most important factor that led to the Assad regime remaining in power and winning the war is the presence of Russia. Russia has now very entrenched place in Syria. It is a crucial presence for Russia at the top of the Eastern Mediterranean, which gives Russia a lot of say in the future of the region, as well as very closeness to Southern Europe, again, closeness to the, to the Gulf with its oil and gas wealth, and more or less, it is a bargaining chip, if you'd like, that Russia can very much use its position in the Eastern Mediterranean in global interactions it has, whether with Europe or with the United States. 
so Russia is in the Eastern Mediterranean to stay. But like any major power, it wants the cost of its stay in that part of the world to be manageable, to be limited law. Keep in mind that Russia built its presence in Syria and the Eastern Mediterranean at a heavy price. That means that it wants Syria in the foreseeable future, say the coming five years, to be relatively stable. At least its politics are more or less smooth. How do you do that in a place in which at least 400,000 people were killed, in which 7-8 million people at least were displaced, and a lot of blood was spilled. That means, or how do you do that? That means, in my mind at least, that we will see some sort of evolution of the political structure in Syria. So most likely the Assad regime will remain, of course, because now Russia has defended it and invested a lot in maintaining it and making it succeed. But to have this smooth evolution, to bring some sort of stability to the future and to avoid waves of vengeance because of the blood that was spilled, most likely we will see some sort of a political process, political transition to evolve the situation in Syria so that there is some sort of acceptance, some sort of buy-in from the largest sections of the Syrian population. So some things along the lines of legislative elections, new constitution, likely new structure of power, dilution of the power at the presidency and maybe empowering more the government that could be formed by an elected parliament. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is keep an eye on a political transition, evolution of the ruling structure in Syria. But why is the future of Syria important? Not just because of what happened in Syria over the past eight, nine years. That's very important. But in addition to that, Syria has always, always meaning for centuries, many centuries, has always been the heart, the main concentration of Sunni Islam in the Eastern Mediterranean. Which means not just that the largest demography in Syria is related, connected to this, this center idea of Sunni Islam as as a demographic presence, as a cultural framework, you have Sunni Muslim communities in the region as a whole, in Lebanon, for example, as well as Palestinian groups that are culturally drawn to Damascus, to the idea of Dimashq, the Levant, Ashan. So all of that renders Syria very important mentally and culturally in the Eastern Mediterranean, as a whole. So the future of Syria is the number one factor to keep in mind. The second factor to keep in mind is the presence of Iran in the Eastern Mediterranean. Iran has built a very serious presence, 
political as well as military in the Eastern Mediterranean over the past 10-15 years. Some would say initially in Iraq, but much more importantly, I think, now in Syria and Lebanon. The question is whether Iran will entrench that presence in the Eastern Mediterranean or will dilute it. Most likely it will not withdraw completely, but whether it will entrench it or dilute it. Why this is not very clear now? Because in the different types of interaction between on one side Iran and on the other side the United States and Israel, there are many dossiers. It's not just about the Iranian nuclear program and the deal that happened between the Obama administration in the US and Iran. It's not just about the confrontation between Hezbollah, an ally of Iran in Lebanon, and Israel on the other side. It's much more than that. There is strategic reasons why Iran has always traditionally been compelled almost to move west, to move towards its own west, towards the eastern Mediterranean, that are very deep in the strategic thinking of Iran, and I would say even in the psyche of Iran. But that's another long story. What I'm trying to say here is that the second factor to keep an eye on is whether Iran, in its negotiations with the United States, especially after the presidential election in the US in November 2020, whether a Trump administration or a Joe Biden administration, there will be a new dynamic between the United States and with it Israel and on the other side Iran. And one of the most important points in that interaction will be Iran's presence in the Eastern Mediterranean and specifically, of course, the military presence. The third factor concerning the future of the Eastern Mediterranean is related to the second factor. And that third factor is the Israeli response to the Iranian presence in the Eastern Mediterranean. If we see Iran entrenching its presence in the Eastern Mediterranean, almost certainly we will see an Israeli response. Now, Israel has already been bombing some Iranian assets in the Eastern Mediterranean, especially in Syria. And some would say also in Iraq and there are indications that even in Iran, but it's not confirmed. But if Iran decides to entrench its presence in the Eastern Mediterranean and entrench its military assets in that part of the world, including very advanced capabilities, that from the Israeli point of view, Israel sees those capabilities as a threat to its own national security, then almost certainly we will see much more than surgical strikes from Israel against these Iranian assets. We will probably see much higher level of military attacks. But on the other side, we will see then a very serious reply from Iran and its allies. I think if that scenario materializes, we are potentially, likely, sadly, going to see a very serious military confrontation that will have very serious economic 
costs and of course devastating costs in or on a number of countries in that part of the world. The fourth factor is Egypt. Egypt has always, throughout its very long history, a country that's usually drawn inwards, very agrarian farming society, not really concerned much with the world around it. Actually, the world around it usually looked at it for richness, for resources, but Egypt itself rarely went out of its borders. And when it went out, it was usually to secure specific resources or elements it so crucial for its own security, such as the Nile in the south. But the only times in history, repeatedly, Egypt went out for ambitions, interests it, interests it wanted to develop, always, not almost, actually always, those interests were in its northeast, in the Levant, in the eastern Mediterranean. In the last 40 years, because of economic and social problems, Egypt did not really do that. But now, we are seeing early signals of resuscitation of Egypt's role in the Arab world, in the wider Middle East, which usually, as I said, means interests in being present in the Eastern Mediterranean. Egypt has a lot of soft power of its history, of its cultural impact and many other factors. The point, fourth point, I draw attention to is whether Egypt will really resuscitate its role, its presence in the Eastern Mediterranean, especially that there are communities in the Eastern Mediterranean that very much traditionally looked to the Egyptian role as balancing a number of other presences in that part of the world. Of course, there are other constituencies, other groups that do not want another major big country to be present there. But irrespective of those who want an Egyptian role, those who do not want an Egyptian role, the point is whether Egypt will actually resuscitate its presence in that part of the world. If it does, certainly it will have spillover effects on a number of dossiers in that part of the world. The fifth point and the last point I want to highlight is the role of Turkey in the Eastern Mediterranean. Turkey, of course, under the Ottoman Empire, ruled the Eastern Mediterranean for about 450 years. But from the mid-19th century, Turkey more or less was not interested in that part of the world. Effectively, from that period, it left it more or less for Britain and France to exert decisive influence on the politics and the social development, even, of that part of the world. And, of course, after the birth of the Turkish Republic under Kemal Ataturk and his followers, there was no interest at all from Turkey in itself, in the Arab world, including the Eastern Mediterranean. It was looking towards Europe. In the last 15 years or so, under the AKP, the party ruling Turkey, and under President Erdogan, 
there was, of course, a strong interest in the Arab world as a whole, but primarily from the ideological point of the struggle for and against Islamism or political Islam in the wider region. But that is different from the increasing new presence of Turkey in the Eastern Mediterranean. Turkey already is present in northern Syria. And there are indications of interests, at least ambitions, within the Sunni Muslim communities of Lebanon. And in addition to that, of course, very recently, we are seeing very strong um, interests, discoveries relating to the gas dossier in the Eastern Mediterranean. And that is a very important issue from an economic and financial point of view that will stay with us for a number of years. The point is, it's one thing to have interests from an economic point of view, and that's it, versus strategic interests of a very important, powerful, big country such as Turkey in that part of the world. To summarize, these five factors obviously are very related to each other, and they interact with each other, and they give birth, if you'd like, to new dynamics between them. To my mind, these five factors and these interactions could be a decent framework to use when you think about the future of the Eastern Mediterranean in the coming three to five years.